0: Amen. So, the uh, title of my sermon today is uh, "Adopted by God," and uh, I, I guess the 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 uh, the, the topic of our, of our of our sermon today is literally in that. There's a spoiler there for you. We're going to be talking about adoption, um, what it looks like to be adopted by by God. And adoption, even in our, I guess, in our normal day-to-day affairs, is something that is beautiful. You know, there's something that's really quite uh, wonderful and, and powerful, it sounds like a really powerful statement um, adoption does, um, you know, it's it's a, we, we look at the, at what takes place when an adoption happens, the, the kind of unwarranted love, the, the special kind of love that requires a person that doesn't actually know this child, doesn't have any affiliation with this child, to adopt them and to bring them into their family. You know, there's something, there's just, just a powerful message that, that it, it, it just screams love adoption does. And as beautiful as it is, as wonderful as it is, at the same time, it's still quite bittersweet because what, what makes adoption so beautiful, what makes adoption so, so precious is, is the fact that we have pain and we have brokenness. Because uh, adoption only makes sense in a system where there is brokenness and where there is heartache and, and heartbreak. Um, that child... Young or old, baby or however old, when that child is, when that person is needing to be adopted, they've been born into a family or into, into an environment where you know the biological parents are maybe not fit, they're unfit or they're they're unable for whatever reason or just downright unwilling to look after their children, and so comes the need for adoption. comes comes the requirement for adoption It's because of that feeling of unwantedness. Um, that it comes from that place of brokenness. In a perfect world where there's perfect families and every single family is, is you know full to the brim of love and happiness, I can't go into that family and say, let me just adopt two of your children for you. There's no need. Like, you don't need to adopt children that are fine. It's because of brokenness and it's because of that unwantedness that requires the need for adoption. And of course, that brokenness comes as a result of sin. We're living in a fallen world. Um, and now, because of that, you know we have millions. There's always a need. You know, you always always in the adverts. You know, adopt, foster, all that kind of stuff. There's a need. There's there's need. There's, there's great need uh, for homes, for families, uh, for mums and dads, for 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 brothers and sisters, for that familial, as it were, ecosystem for uh, a child in need to be brought into, so that they can have the normal, the normal relationships that any normal child basically should have. And, of course, we see that, like I said, and we marvel at the the beauty and the generosity of this act to to adopt a child. And that's what I want us to do today, to to basically look at the adoption of God and how God has adopted us and to marvel at that. Okay, I want us to marvel at the grace and the the love and the compassion that God demonstrates to us, because he also adopts us in a very similar uh, fashion. And when we think on adoption, the doctrine of adoption, when we when we pause to meditate on, on the on, on our adoption, what it actually means, when we when we when we pull it out and we look at it in a granular, in in its in its granular form, we start to realise, you know, it doesn't take too much digging, it doesn't take too much studying to realise that the doctrine of our adoption is probably one of the most consoling, heartwarming, encouraging truths that there is in the entirety of Scripture. When we feel like we're, we're, we're sore oppressed, when we feel like we're, we're spiritually depressed, when we feel like we're low, think of your adoption. And I'll come on to, to, to speak about this in, in a moment or further down in, in, the, in my notes. But adoption, it really just kind of rekindles, you know, the, the, the flame that I've been adopted. It really does amaze you if you take the time to think about it. And it is quite weird at the same time when we think of our salvation that we never really quite think of our adoption. We might think of, yes, we're saved and our sins have been forgiven and we've been justified and, and Christ died for me. But we never really go to full length and we never really talk about adoption. It's not, it's not really something that's spoken about. But like I said, it's probably one of the most heartwarming truths there is. And so what is adoption? What, what, what is adoption? And let's, let's kind of start our journey into kind of teasing out what adoption is and how it can be so encouraging to us. What is adoption? In short, in short, uh, and and excuse my pun here because this uh, definition is taken from the uh, Westminster Shorter Catechism, but in, in short, adoption is an act of God's free grace whereby we are received into the number and have a right to all the privileges of the sons of God. So when the Apostle Paul, and he speaks of adoption, we read, we read Romans 8, there's Ephesians 1, Ephesians 2, where he speaks again of adoptions, we've been given a spirit of adoption. Um, he speaks very often about adoption. And when, when, when he says adoption, the word literally there means to be placed. It's a placing. You pick up and you place. That's what, that's what adoption means. So we've been placed, when, when we've been adopted by God, we've been placed into another. We've been placed into something. And now we belong to something else. So adoption essentially is the gracious act of God, wherein he justifies the sinner. He justifies the sinner as his beloved child. That's what adoption is. He justifies a sinner and makes him his beloved child. As a result, we're called sons and daughters of God. Sons and daughters of God, simply because of adoption. And so therefore, when you think of adoption, you can't, you, you can't think of adoption in, its, in, 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 in its, uh, independently. Because Adoption is part of the eternal plan of salvation You think about justification And we're going we're to go through this We're going to kind of do a quick journey of, of, of how we're saved But you think of adoption And it's, it's, it's rooted firmly In the eternal plan Of God's salvation Before time started Before the building blocks Of creation came together God has already predestined Those who he's going to adopt Because it's lodged deeply In the plan of salvation That God has to save people God wanted and desired us to be his children even before he created the world. And so, like I said, as part of my introduction, this is going to be quite a lengthy introduction, so do, do, do bear with me. Um, but as part of that introduction, let's kind of go, like I said, on a, on a quick tour and, and look at the... I guess, the milestones that happens when a person is saved, when, when, when the plan of salvation unfolds. What happens in a person's heart? What happens in their mind? How is a person saved? What is that journey? What does it look like? Let's kind of cross off those, those key milestones. Well, where else do we start other than the fact that we are born in sin? Every person, creature, man or woman, young or old, born into sin. Everyone is fully sinful through and through. Completely Sinful. Every single person, every single aspect of that person is sinful. From his mind, to his actions, to his heart, to even his good works. Everything stained by sin. It's, it's, that's why you can't really even find, we, we can't even really find people to be you know, truly altruistic as well. Because even their good works are stained and, and tainted with sin. Our good works are about filthy rags before our holy God is what the scripture says. Before God uh, uh, in in, in the days of Noah destroys the earth, what does he say to himself when he looks at, at creation? The wickedness of man was very great in the earth, and every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Just bound up in wickedness, continuous, just absolutely depraved. And it's not just external, it's not just in the things that we do, but it's our nature. Like I said, we're born in sin, it's our very nature, it's our very makeup, it's our very DNA to be sinful. Our nature is to be sinful. If I've got a zebra and I've got a lion and I lock them together in a cage, now forget the fact that the lion might probably eat the zebra, just, uh, just allow my, my, my story to make sense. I've got a zebra and I've got a lion in a cage. If I put some meat or some, some steak or something into the cage, the lion is probably going to eat the steak and the zebra is probably gonna eat some grass or whatever is around and stuff like that. That's normal because it's its nature to kind of eat meat. That's fine. If I take the zebra out and I paint the zebra like a lion so it doesn't look black and white, it looks like a lion, it it is a lion, and I put it back into the cage of the lion and I put steak in there again, the zebra is not gonna eat the meat. It's still gonna eat the grass because the nature of that zebra is to be a herbivore. It eats grass, that's its nature. It doesn't eat meat. It's the same thing as us. It doesn't matter how we dress ourselves up. It doesn't matter how we kind of improve ourselves or improve our our, our settings. It doesn't matter what country you might be placed in. It doesn't matter what life opportunities you have or you don't have. It doesn't matter uh, what level of education you have, how intellectual you are or unintellectual you are. It doesn't matter what kind of role models you've had around in your life, whether you've had great, a great father or a great mother, whether you've had wealthy people in, in, in the industry and they've fed you information from a young age. It doesn't matter. Your nature is still to be sinful. Our nature is sinful. Man's nature is to be sinful. Can a leopard change its spots for stripes? Then neither can you do good who are accustomed to evil. That's our, it's our very nature to be sinful. And because we are completely dead and ruined in our sins, it means that we can't, even if we wanted to, even if we wanted to, we still cannot come to God of our own volition because we're sinful. We do not desire God. We've been blinded by the God of this world. And so even if, even if the light of the gospel was shed there, was right in front of us, blinding us our foremost, we still wouldn't even come because we're dead in our sins. And so spiritually, we're orphans. We're left orphans, spiritually speaking. Our sinful nature has left us but mere orphans. And so you look, you know, after a a war takes place, what's left behind? It's a a, a land that's that's laid waste and and buildings destroyed and and, and lack of resources. And there's a lot of orphans. There's a lot of, you know, uh, children that have lost parents. And there's a lot of need and there's a lot of poverty. And that's us. Our world has been ravaged with sin. And it's left a lot of brokenness. It's left a lot of... Orphans, it's left a lot of needy people. It's left a lot of people that I need in need. It's left a lot of people that I need. And so God seeing our sorry estate, God seeing us in our sins, starts the plan of salvation and he regenerates us. What do you mean by being regenerated? He gives us a new spiritual life from within. Within is what he gives us. He gives us a new spiritual life. He brings that person to a new life. And so, another word that we're probably more familiar with um, to regeneration is to be born again. It, you start again, basically. Spiritually speaking, you're born again. You're given a new nature. Your nature before was to be sinful. Now you're given a new nature. God gives you a new nature, and this one is distinguished from the first birth. The first birth is what brought you into sin. The second one is what brings you into life, into life eternal. Because you're born, you're born again. So at regeneration, we're changed and we 're transformed that 's what God does in regeneration He changes our heart so that we 're not sinful anymore we 're actually more we, we, we seek to please God with a new heart it 's absolutely necessary, like I said, because there's no other way for us to actually start pleasing God unless our heart is changed. Let me go back to the to the to the, to the zebra analogy it doesn't matter even if you know, to that zebra, I'm saying, listen, if you eat the meat, you'll be strong, you'll be, you'll be, you'll be active, you'll be, you'll be fast like a lion. You can't reason with it because it's nature it's not interested in the meat. The, the, the very nature of the zebra must be transformed from being a herbivore to being a meat eater, whatever the, the, the right phrase for that is. Unless that happens, that's when it will be interested in the meat. Unless our heart is changed, unless our nature is transformed, that's when we become interested in God. And that's what happens at regeneration. The heart is changed from being black and dark and uninterested in God to now being alive and now being fleshy. It goes from a heart of stone to being fleshy. It's able to receive now and it's able to trust in God. And so God must come to us. We cannot go to him. God must come to us and he must regenerate our hearts. And when he does that, he justifies. And once he's regenerated our hearts, he justifies. He justifies He justifies our hearts. It's not an issue. It's not when we're regenerated. It's not as if we're given a brand new. You know, we're given a clean slate. We turn the leaf, and now we can. You know, start going again. Now that we've got the, the nature that works, as it were. We need more than that because we'll just go straight back into our sin. God must justify. And what does God do in justification? Uh, in a judicial sense, it simply means that you've been declared not guilty. When you go to court for every offence you've committed, there's two. There's there's two verdicts. It's guilty. Or not guilty? Courts, justice, it doesn't operate in hybrids. It doesn't say you're 60% guilty and then 40% innocent and then, you know, we'll kind of figure stuff. There's one question, guilty or not guilty, what are you? You either leave as a, as a, as a free man or you go, to guilty as a, as a, you go to prison as a guilty person. The same thing with us. When we stand in God's court, are you guilty or not guilty? When you stand before God, the holy and just judge, there's one question. Have you sinned? Have you not sinned? If you have sinned, you're guilty. If you haven't sinned, you're not guilty. But who of us can obviously raise our hands and say, hey God, no, that doesn't apply to me, I've not sinned. We're all guilty. Everyone is guilty, we've all been born into sin. But God looks at us in his court as he's judging us and he says, you're free to go. Not only that, you're you're free to go and you're forgiven. And not only are you forgiven, you're blameless, meaning you've never broken my law. And not only that, not not only are you blameless, He says, You're perfect. You're righteous. In a sense that you've not only not broken my law, but you've upheld my law. You've actually obeyed it perfectly. Every single detail of my law, everything in your mind, in your heart, you've obeyed it perfectly. And the perfect holy judge is looking at you and he's saying, You're justified. And you're thinking, But you're trusting in Jesus Christ. That's why you're justified. That's what makes it all make sense. In that justification, we've been declared not guilty. All the charges have been dropped because Jesus Christ comes in to the courtroom, as it were, and he says, God, you've punished me instead of him. And where I've had no sinful nature of my own, where I've not committed any offenses, where I've upheld your law perfectly, I've transferred that to said said man, said woman. And they now have that righteousness imputed unto them. And I have died in their place. Instead of them dying, I've died. Instead of them dying, I've died. And that is justification. He has paid the debts by dying for our sins. He has paid the debt by dying for our sins. So that is my introduction. Thanks for, 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 for bearing with me. And that's what brings us to our adoption. Now that we've been justified, that's what brings us to our adoption. And, and it gives us the framework to be able to, to properly consider what our adoption means and what our adoption is. Let's consider our adoption in a bit more detail. First question, what has our uh, adoption brought us into? Sorry, then, mm, Believe me. Yeah, these notes are confusing, but sorry. The notes are printed a bit differently, which has confused me a bit. Um, yes, let's press on. So, our adoption brings us. What does our adoption mean? What does our adoption mean? Our adoption basically has brought us into a newness, it's brought us into something new. You think about it. When, when a child is adopted, when a child is brought from their life of, of being an orphan, when a child has been brought from their life of being um, unwanted, unloved, everything from that particular moment changes. Everything from that very particular moment changes that person is brought into a new family. That person is brought into a new area where there's brothers and sisters. And that's exactly what happens for us when we are adopted. Our Adoption brings us into a new home. And it brings us into a a new relationship with God. At justification, we're given the right relationship with a judge, as it were. At our adoption, we're given the right relationship with a father. It's, 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 It's establishing the right relationship at justification, we're given the right relationship with regards to the law. We've never offended the law. We've never offended God with the law. At, just, at adoption, we've never offended our father. Our father loves us. Our father keeps us. And that's, that's what we that's what we mean by adoption. Adoption secures our salvation from sin and death. And it addresses the question of our relationship with the law. Our adoption establishes the relationship of a beloved father. And adoption addresses the relationship that God has with himself to us. And so now that we come to consider adoption in in detail, everything changes in that aspect because if you look at a child, like I said, the way he lived yesterday is no longer the way that he lives today. Yesterday he might have been living in in poverty, he might have been living in in stress, in in a period of unwantedness. But once he's adopted, once he's brought into a new family, all of that changes. All of that falls by the wayside. Everything changes in adoption because you're placed in a new relationship, a new environment, a new, a, new, a new facility of care and constant support. Things are about to look very different from you from here on out because you are now a child of God. And it's the exact same thing. It's, so you're now a child of a different family. And it's not the exact same thing when it comes to our relationship with God. So how, how can we explain? How can we kind of understand exactly why adoption looks like? I want us to consider three things. I want us to consider three things that our adoption has brought us into. And allow me to to to, to steal my headings as it were from from a book, or a movie. It's not. It's probably a bit beyond our time, but it's a it's a book. It started as a book, and now it's a movie. It's called Ben Hur, um, and it's a story. Um, it's a story of, I don't ask me too much detail about what the story is, but a part of the story where my, where my headings are relevant is where he's, he's adopted, basically. Judah Ben-Hur is the main character. He's adopted by, 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 by a Jew, and there's a big party, there's a big fanfare that happens, and he steps forward and he, he gives a speech now that he's been adopted to everyone that's present at the party. And he says this, as, as, as he's now been adopted and all of that's made official. He says this, it's a strange destiny that has brought me to a new life a new home and a new father and those are my free headings adoption adoption has brought us to a new a new life a new home and a new father a new life let 's consider the new life first of all adoption brings us into a new life and you will never see a more radical change in in anything in in this life when we're When we were dead in our sins, we were orphans and we owned nothing. We had nothing that we could possess. Now we have an inheritance with Jesus. We've gone from owning nothing to owning everything that Jesus Christ owns. We never had anything like this at all. In this new life, we have reasons straight away. Just because we've been adopted, we have reason to be hopeful. We have reason to have faith. And we have reason to have assurance. Simply because we've been adopted We've become heirs and and co-heirs with Jesus Christ. We've become heirs of God and co-heirs with Jesus Christ. And we read earlier in Romans chapter 8, verse 17 in particular, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Romans 8, verse 17. What does that mean? What does that actually mean? What does that actually mean to be an heir of God, to be co-heirs with Jesus Christ? What does that mean? It means that God has given us his name. His very name is now been placed upon us through our adoption. God has placed his name upon us by being co-heirs, uh, by, by being heirs of him. My, my, my children, Joy Marie, uh, Noriah, and, and, and Joel, they've never once asked me to look after them. They've never once asked me to, to provide for them. They've never once asked me to, to protect them. But because they bear my name, they get that. That, that that's almost like a guarantee. It's 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 a, it's a no-brainer for them. As their father, they've been brought into this. As, as their father, I've given them my name, as Lawal. as my as, that's a family name. And with that family name, they get to expect my protection. And it's the same thing with God, because we've been given the name of God. Because we're now His children, we get to expect His protection. We get to expect His provision. We get to expect His guidance. 24-7, he is directly involved in our life because we bear his name. 24-7, his ears are open to us because we bear his name. If, Jesus, if God has never ignored Jesus Christ, if God has never turned Jesus Christ away, if God has never despised Jesus Christ, being co-heirs with Jesus Christ, we get the exact same. God will never despise us because we're co-heirs with Jesus Christ. And everything that Jesus Christ gets... Now that we've been adopted, we get. That's what it means to be a co-heir of Jesus Christ. Not only that, we've been given a new inheritance in heaven. A new inheritance. Like I said, we've gone from living a life of poverty. We've gone from living a life as an orphan. And now we've given a, a full inheritance in heaven. We're given a full assurance that one day we will come to inherit everything that God has set aside for us as his beloved children. And that inheritance is not something that we have to protect ourselves. That inheritance is not something that we have to work up for ourselves and be strong and be diligent to kind of protect and make sure that it doesn't get ruined. That inheritance is stored away for us as first, as, as, as first Peter says. It's stored away in heaven. It's imperishable, it's undefiled. It will not fade away. No one can break in, no moth can, can, can come and make it rusty. No one can come and steal it away. That inheritance of glory, that inheritance of heaven is securely, uh, is securely safe by God himself. And that's the life that we've come into. What else do we have in our inheritance, in, in our adoption? In our new life, we have the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit. All who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Romans eight fourteen that we read again in our scriptures. Before, we lived according to our nature, like I mentioned before. We lived according to our nature. Everything that our nature dictated to us, everything that our nature wanted us to do, we did straight away. But now that we've been adopted, we live in accordance with the Spirit. And what does the Spirit do? The Spirit doesn't want us to live according to the flesh. The Spirit wants us to live according to truth. The Spirit wants us to live according to what pleases God. The Spirit wants us to do a full 180 from our sins and from our self-centeredness. And it wants us to live in a way that is pleasing to God. That's what we have now that we've come into the newness of life. That's what we have now that we've come into adoption. We live according to the Spirit who is our help. Who is our guidance, and who reminds us of truth consistently? Adoption brings us into a new life, lastly, because it makes our wretched lives beautiful. And this is probably like when I said that it it makes us it it makes us warm thinking of the 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 doctrine of adoption. This is part of it. The, The new life that we're given is beautiful. It is. It is. It is so beautiful. Adoption in the real world, you know, people can be warned, you know, new, new, perspectives, uh, new prospective parents to be, they're warned that adoption can be tough. You don't really know what background... Um what it's coming from, you don't know what life experiences they've had, the baggage, the trauma, all that kind of stuff, and it can affect them in, the, in, the, in, the, in their normal relationships. A normal child that has not had the kind of experiences that they have had might not give you this grief, but an adopted child with whatever kind of experience they've had, there might just be issues. It, obviously, I'm not speaking for everybody, but you know, sometimes in, in the worst cases, it, that, that, that uh, threat does present itself. And, it, 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 if, if you, and if you look at the adoption that happens at salvation, that, that's quite similar because god doesn't adopt he doesn't adopt perfect children he doesn't go to the places where all the children are looking healthy and, and and plump and full of love and he no he he adopts the ones that are the most need that have the most need God adopts the ones that are, are, are that, that have various issues and he brings them into his family and he calls them sons and daughters but these same people might have anger issues and, and, and they might have addictions and, and, and they, they might have issues with jealousy and, or, or pride or self-interest. And these people just have, have complex backgrounds. You know, they might, they might have uh, baggage and, and hurt and pain and, and insecurities. And God brings these people into his house. God brings these people into his family. But he can also take those imperfections and make them beautiful. And this is what we get by being adopted into this new life. In our new life, what used to cause us pain, what used to be the very thing that got us neglected, that got us ostracized in society, is now the very thing that God uses as a tool to sharpen us and to sanctify us, and it makes us beautiful. He can make us beautiful again. The pain of yesteryear can be used to make us beautiful. He can take that messy past that you have, and he can make it beautiful there's a song, the lyrics of the song, which I want to I uh, read just now, uh, that, that really kind of fleshes that out and really kind of brings that point home. Give him everything. Call each one by name. He can make it beautiful. Dreams you've thrown away and every mistake. Watch him make it beautiful. Things you cannot change. Things you can't erase. He can make them beautiful. See the cost was high. Paid it with his life so we can be beautiful that's the new life that we have been brought into it is a beautiful life it is a life where with the adoption of God he makes life worth it again he fills it with joy he restores the joy that we lost in our days of being a spiritual orphan there was no joy there was nothing that, that 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 got us up out of bed now but now that we've been adopted I spring out of bed because I have a life of joy that's the life that God has brought me into. He gives me the grace to carry on when I felt like I was on the brink of giving up. That's the life that I've been adopted into. He instills in you the hope to believe again, to, uh, to, 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 to believe again, because that's the life that you've been adopted into. It's a beautiful life. It's far removed from the, from, the, from the previous life that you had before. It is a beautiful life. God can and God does make all things beautiful. He looks at you, his son and his daughter, and he says, I will make you beautiful because I adopted you. I chose you. God has brought us into a beautiful life. Secondly, what has our adoption brought us into? Our adoption has brought us into a new home. It's brought us into a new home, a new family, a new environment. Have you ever traveled abroad or, or traveled to another city, for example? Um, and maybe you've, you, you've been there, you spent time with some Believers. Now, you don't know them. You've never met them before. You don't know them from Adam. You, your being there is the first time that you've met them. You've, you've conversated with them and, and, and set, set your eyes on them. They may look nothing like you, speak a different language. Their culture is different. The things that they eat is different. But because you have that shared connection with God, because you have that shared uh, love for God and love for his people, because you have the same perspective on life, and of the world, because you're both adopted by God, straight away you have a, 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 a connection with that person. You have a bond with that person. You're speaking with a brother. You're speaking with a sister and you're filled with joy. That's because we've been adopted into a new home. We've been adopted into a new home. Now we have a global family as it were. We have a global home. So I can travel to Asia tomorrow and if I find saints, I find a brother. If I If I find saints, I find a sister. And I can do the same thing in Africa. I can do the same thing in North America. Wherever I go, if I find brethren, I can find family. That's the home that I've been brought into, a global home, adopted by God, a global family, adopted by God. You have a home far away. You have a home abroad. But guess what, friends? You also have a home here. You have a local home, a local church. If you're a member at a church, if you're a member at this church, this is your home. This is what God has adopted you to. This is your family. This is your network. These are your brothers and these are your sisters. This is the ecosystem that God has adopted you into to strengthen you, to keep you by. These are your people. These are your guys, like these are your family. This is your people. The local body is a body, the local church is the body of justified sinners adopted by God. You look left and you look right and you're seeing your sister, you're seeing your brother, you're seeing your, your spiritual mom, you're seeing your spiritual dad, you're seeing your spiritual children. You're seeing God's people all adopted by God. And oftentimes family may, may, families may squabble, they may argue, they may see things differently, they might fall out. But the thing that must never die, the thing that can never die in family is love. It's that love that comes back and reconciles. Is that love that comes back and is overflowing? Is that love that comes back and is stretching for your brother, is stretching for your sister? Is that love that comes back and prays for your brother and prays for your sister? That's what we've been brought into. Our family. We've been brought into a new home. And lastly, what has our adoption brought us into? Adoption has brought us to a new father. Our adoption has brought us to a new father. Come with me again to the courtroom and uh, let's examine as if, uh, uh, let's examine a situation where a court case is going on. Um, So these things are ratified in court. And uh, the judge um, has a child before him. He's about to, I guess, sign off the adoption. He's about to drop his hammer, the gavel thing. Um, Once he drops that, the adoption is legal, everything is signed off, he's good to go, he's gonna to go to his new family and all that kind of stuff, all that kind of lovely stuff. Then you see this, this child who I guess once upon a time was, was lost, who, who, who once upon a time was uh, uh, homeless, who once upon a time had no, 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 no love, no care. As soon as the judge is about to drop that gavel and make everything legal with the adoption, everything changes for that child like I've mentioned before. And boom, the judge drops, drops the gavel, it's done. This child has been adopted. He has new parents. He has a new love. Who, 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 who is it that goes to, to, to pick up that child? Who is it that goes to, you know, I guess with, 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 with joy and tears even, picks up that child and cuddles and embraces that child and says, like, I've, I've, I've looked forward to this day for so long. Who is it that does that? Who is it that's just brimming with pride and brimming with joy? It's not, it's, it's not the judge. The judge doesn't do that. The judge has done his job. It's the father. The father comes to that child that's now been adopted and embraces him like his own. Why do I say that? What's my point? It's great to be right with the judge. It's great to be justified, but it's much greater to be loved, adopted by the father. A judge can acquit you, but it takes a father to adopt you. It takes a father to let you know that love, to let you know that newness, let you know that warmth. What's so rich about love? What's so rich about adoption? That's the father's job. That's the father's job. And that's exactly what adoption gives us. It gives us a new father, a brand new father, a father like we've never had, a father like we've never, ever had, a father who would literally turn the world upside down just, just to have you, just to have just you as an individual. You need to be convinced, and you need to believe this is true, that if you was the only person in the entire world that ever sinned, God would still go to the full length of sending his son to come and die just for you because that's how much he loves you. That's the father's love. And that's what's demonstrated to us in adoption. He would still come and seek you. He will still come and find you. He will still come and lift you. He will still come and place you into his family because that's the love of the father. That's the love. That's the family that you've been brought into. The far- to have the, the fatherliness of God, as it were, is everything. Everything. And that's what we have right now as we've been adopted. When calamities and troubles before you, it's the love of the Father that brings you to prayer, isn't it? When troubles come upon us like a flood, we lift our gaze and we stretch our arms, as it were, to the love of our Father, to the help of a Father. When the unfortunate events of life, like death, come and it, it takes our loved ones, our family members, it's the Father that we go to for empathy. It's the father that we go to for consolation. It's the father that we lean on for support. That's the father. That's the new life that we've been brought into. We've been given a new father. We didn't have that in the past. When there was pain in the past, when there was hurt in the past, when there was death, we mourned, but there was nothing that we could do with that mourn. The pain just kept getting deeper. And the trouble just kept spiraling out of control. But now that we have a new father, that pain brings us, it, it, it takes us somewhere. It takes us to the loving embrace of a father. There's purpose pain now. That's, and that's because we have a new father. We do not mourn like the world mourns because we have a new father. We have hope. That's what we've been adopted into. That's what we've been adopted into. We have a father who is always approachable. Always approachable. The word says, draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now we are able to cry, Abba Father. Before we might have cried, and we just cried in our pillow. We cried ourselves to sleep. We cried with no, with no, with no sense of relief. Now we cry, Abba Father. We cry to our Father in heaven. We have a Father who is who is patient. We have a Father who is patient, and that we've been adopted. We have a Father who is patient. Uh, I'm, just, I'm quickly scanning the room. I'm sure fathers, mothers as well, would 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 would, would echo the same thought when I say that children can often, oftentimes challenge your patience. Patients. They can test your patience. Children are, are specialized in doing that. Children will oftentimes make mistake, mistakes and they will oftentimes offend their parents. They will do things that are just annoying. They will do things that are weird. But that's children. That's children for you. And you have to be patient with them. And we try to be patient, but God doesn't have that challenge. God is patient. God is long-suffering. God is full of mercy. That's the father that we have. He is full of mercy. He is kind. He has a never dying ability to just forgive. Every single day he forgives. And even though we've been adopted into this wonderful new life, and we've been adopted into this wonderful, wonderful new home. Sometimes we still act a bit... Weird, and we still go back like 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 a dog returns to his vomit. We still go back to our former days of poverty and and being an orphan and living in sin. And sometimes we do that, even though we've been given this wonderful gift of love by God. We still do the unimagin- unimaginable and return to our sin. But God is patient. God doesn't shut the door behind you when you leave. God is patient, just like the, the father was with his prodigal son, arms wide open, patient. That's the father that we have, a new father. God is also a father now that we've been adopted. He's a father who disciplines. God is a father who disciplines. Yes, God is patient, but yes, sometimes God must, must give us a stern hand, as it were. Sometimes our foolishness and our sins have consequences, and rightfully so. And sometimes our foolishness needs to be trimmed off and it needs to be, needs to be cut off. And that's exactly what discipline is. And that comes from the hand of a loving father. Discipline comes from the hand of a loving father. See, the discipline is not in anger. It's not in frustration. It's not a, a, a lashing out. It's, it's, contr- it's a controlled, purposeful discipline. What, what does Hebrews tell us? God disciplines the ones that he loves and chastens those he has received as sons. That's what the father does. He disciplines us in love. He disciplines us because he loves us. The disciplines for our good so that we can partake in his holiness. That's what the father does. That's what we've been adopted into. We've been adopted to a father that disciplines us because he loves us and he transforms us more into his image. What then are some of the closing thoughts? How can we kind of summarize everything that we looked at? And what can we take the adoption, the doctrine of adoption? How can we take that into the week? How can we take that into our into our morning devotion or into our into our into our thought patterns in the week? What does that kind of uh, insti- what does that kind of evoke from us as we think upon our adoption? What makes adoption so so precious, so to speak? When we think, when we meditate, when we 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 play—so not play—we we we pull out the idea of adoption. What does it what does it present for us? What does it teach us? What does it show us? Firstly, it shows us that our adoption is very 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 closely linked with our assurance. I've got three things. The first, it shows us that we are very very. It gives us assurance. It gives us confidence. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to take you back. But you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. It gives you assurance. It gives you you the credit that you're looking for. It gives you the, the conviction that you need. It tells you that, yes, I am indeed a son of God. That's what our adoption tells us. That's what it teaches us. I am indeed a son of God. It gives us that assurance. If you struggle with assurance, if you struggle with, am I, am I, am I really saved? Am, I, am, I, am, I, am, I, am my sins really forgiven? Have you been adopted? Do you know God as father? Do you know this new life of which I'm talking about? Do you know this new home, the, the brothers and sisters that you have? Do you know God as your father? If you do, that's because you've been adopted. And it gives you the assurance that you're looking for. Our, assurance, our adoption gives us the assurance that we are indeed sons and daughters of God. Meditate upon that. Dear Saint, meditate upon your adoption so that you begin to, to, to live in the benefits of that of the assurance that he gives you. God justifies us and he adopts us. God doesn't adopt anybody that he hasn't justified. They work so hand in hand. Now that you've been justified and your sins are dealt with and you're, you're blameless before, before God, you're brought in straight away as a son and daughter of living God. It gives you the assurance that you're looking for. Again, if you're struggling with assurance, then run to the God who has adopted you. If you're struggling, am I saved? Am I? Uh, do I really love God? Do, I, do, do, do I, am I, am I? My sins are ever before me and I'm always grieving the God. Run back to the God who has adopted you. And think on this. If you didn't do anything in the first place to warrant your adoption, God still adopted you in the first place. How can you therefore do anything to unwarrant that adoption? You wasn't there Dealing with the, with the with the legal transactions that needed to be done. When a, so when a child is, is, is adopted in real life, he's not putting kind words into the judge's ear. He's not the one that's convincing. He's not the one that's, that's you know put, putting his best foot forward. This is why I feel like I should be adopted. You know, I, I can I can mesh very well with a family. I've got this education behind me. He nothing. He's not there when the parents are coming or the, the prospective parents are coming, and they you know they choose and they they discuss amongst themselves: should we adopt A, should we adopt B? That child is not present. Jack child has nothing to do with his, with his adoption process. He puts on his fine clothes on a said day, comes to court, the judge ratifies it, adopted. He had nothing to do with his adoption process. He didn't, he didn't visit his prospective parents and say, "Can you? hey, I'm, I'm in need of adoption. The same thing with God. We didn't come to God and say, Lord, do you fancy adopting me? God adopted us by grace. God came to us and adopted us of his own volition. If that same God adopted you before you did anything... It clearly shows, it clearly shows that that, uh, your adoption is lodged firmly in this immutable plan. That plan that cannot be changed. That plan that was fully detailed. That plan that was fully completed before even creation was started. That plan was always going to happen. What can you possibly do now? And that's why we read the entirety of of, of chapter 8. Paul challenges everything. What can possibly separate you from the love of God? How does thinking on the adoption of God not give you the assurance that you're looking for? God has adopted me. God has made me his own. God has made me his son. He's made me his daughter. What can I possibly do now to undo that? I didn't do anything to deserve it in the first place. I cannot do anything to undo it now. The blood of Christ cleanses us from our sins but it has also changed our relationship with God. We've gone from enemies to sons and daughters of God. Unless God changes that, nothing is changing it. It gives us assurance. We have assurance of our salvation. We have confidence. Secondly, what else does our adoption teach us? Our adoption teaches us that the whole process of adoption is an an indescribable display of love. You will never find a a more vast, a more wonderful, a more... Generous display of love. Like I said right at the beginning of the, of, of the sermon, you know, there's something that we admire. There's something that we, we love to see in adoption because it, 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 it presents for us that, that special kind of love of, of parents just deciding to adopt a child that they didn't know, taking on their challenges, etc. It's the same thing with the gospel. The same thing with our adoption into the family of God. First John 1 uh, First John chapter three, verse one tells us, see what kind of love the father has given to us that we should be called children of God. John is marveling at this love. Why should we be called children of God? Why? Why should we be called children of God? And, And take a moment to ponder and to actually think through that question, to actually let it do the rounds in your mind. Why should you be called the child of God? What have you done? What have you done to deserve the qualification to be called the child, the son, the daughter of God? You've done nothing. You've done nothing. Sinful by nature is what we are. Dead in our sins, spiritual orphans. What is possibly lovable in us? Nothing. This is a love, this speaks, adoption speaks of a love that cannot be explained, that cannot be, that cannot be, 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 be fully understood. Paul prays, pray, pray for us to be to be strengthened, to know the love of God that passes understanding. Paul is saying, here is the love of God. Know it, but you're not going to know it anyways. Because it's too vast. It's too big for us. It's too deep. It's too wide. It's too high. This love of God, and and forgive me for for, for proper lack of terms, it's it's not logical. It doesn't make sense. We can't compute it. It's beyond our minds. The love is too big. It cannot be replicated. It cannot be copied. We cannot love the way God loves us. It's not in our nature to. Now, he can teach us and we can do it imperfectly and and he continues to sanctify us, but we cannot love that way. It's such a foreign thing to us, but God has shown us that in adoption. He has loved us. You bring me a saint that has spent his entire, the entirety of his days. He's, uh, he's now old, he's in his 70s, 80s, and but he's been saved in his youth and he's, he's known the love of God from his early days and he's, he's lived in it, he's, he's studied it, he's, he's, he's experienced it, he's felt it and he knows the love of God and you just see it radiating from his life. And, and now that he's in his old age and he, he can just speak wonderfully about the love of God because he's experienced it for so long. And you know, I, I look at that man and I, and I praise God for that man's life and just what a rich life is lived. But I look at that man and say, the 70, 80 years that you spent in God's love, we're still about scratching the surface. God's love is so deep. That's what we have eternity for. Eternity is not even too long, long enough to understand God's love. So vast is His love, and that's exactly what adoption teaches us. God loves us. God loves us. It's demonstrated to us in adoption. And finally, adoption is an act of grace. Adoption is an act of grace. When we adopt, when, when, when humans adopt, you can be persuaded, we can be convinced, we can be reasoned with, you know, why we choose person A over person B, why we decide to adopt this child over that child. Maybe this child is a bit more easier, doesn't really have a lot of, Issues I can foresee. Um, maybe this child, um, you know, doesn't maybe have any kind of like you know physical disability, so you know I, I won't need to you know be overly, as it were, caring. I won't have to be like a full time carer for the child. You know, those are the kind of things, rightfully, wrongfully, you know. But those are the kind of things that people consider, you know, when um, when, when they go through an adoption process. <laughs> one of, the, one of the, the thoughts can be, oh, this baby is cute. This baby looks nice to look at. They're they're beautiful, etc don't don't think that's what happens when god when we're considering our adoption with god god doesn't look at us and you know see the good in us god doesn't look at us and see that there's you know there's something worth saving in this in this young man there's so much potential here there's there's so much just just let me take this child and put them in the right environment and and watch them blossom and watch them grow because that's that that goodness is just in a seed form and it just needs to sprout out that's not that's not what happens with our adoption that's not the case that is not the case. God adopts those who are his enemies. God goes and he looks for those who are spiritually ugly. God goes and he, he looks for those who have lived their lives in absolute animosity towards God, they've turned their backs. God. Those are the ones that God goes after to, to, to adopt. Those are the ones he's bringing into his family. He goes far. He doesn't go to the, 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 the wealthy neighborhoods or the, the, the high palaces and kingdoms and rich, affluent neighborhoods. He goes to the slums, the ghettos. He goes to the where, where poverty is rife, where, where kids are, are, are dangerous, so to speak, where kids are rude, where kids are, are, are wicked where kids are are disrespectful and he goes there and he says, yes, I'll have that one and I'll adopt that one and I'll adopt that one. Those are the wicked ones that God is adopting. And that is, that is us. That is us. He looks at the dirtiest. He looks at the vilest. He looks at the, 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 the most wretched. He looks at the most debased of children. He looks at us and he says, I will adopt you. Why? Grace. Grace. For good that I have done. Not because of my works. I was uh, scrolling through um, Instagram this week, um, yeah, this week, and um, I came across a story, um, ac- across a person, sorry, um, and he's quite, he's quite well known. He's, he's I think he's a boxer, or pre- previous boxer. I don't know if he still boxes now, but basically, he 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 had a daughter, he had yeah had a daughter who very very unwell, had had cancer, very young, maybe one or two at max, um, and. Yeah, I think they kind of got viral, they kind of got popular because this daughter was um was 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 sick. And essentially this this man is kind of a, I guess recording and 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 I guess detailing his experience his life with this with this with this child. Um you know, he he's recording videos with her. He's uh, he's um he's he's kind of just dancing with her. He's he's sharing, you know, these last moments with 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 his daughter who Un, un, undoubtedly, is probably going to die because yeah, the f- the form of cancer that she has is quite aggressive, um, and it's it's she's probably not going to survive it. And I'm I'm scrolling through Instagram and I and I, and I it's not even the video per se because the, to be fair he has lots of videos and he's always popping up here and there. It's not even the video per se that you know grabs my attention. It's the caption. So I see the caption and the caption the caption reads um, verbatim. So I was just looking for the for the quote. The caption reads um, verbatim. He's lost his daughter now, by the way. Um, So it's actually a very sad story, Um, very sad. Um, And so he's lost his daughter. And me knowing this, when I see the caption, it says, I'm not scared about death anymore. He says this, I'm not scared about death anymore. My only true fear in life is not doing enough on this earth while I am present to earn my place to be with my daughter again in heaven. And I thought, it was like it was just. Like, I just thought, no, you've, like you've got as like as 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 painful as this story is, you've got it wrong. That, that that's not that's not what brings you to salvation. It's not. It's not. It's not. It's not your works. That word earn. It should. It, it should. You can't earn it. It's of grace. You can do nothing to be adopted by God. You can do nothing to warrant your place, your position, your standing as a son and as a daughter of God, of grace. Unless that man, I'm not gonna mention his name, unless that man, unless you here, unless whoever is watching me online, unless you process and come to the realization, the humble realization that my adoption is of grace, you have nothing. And that's why it should continue to, to evoke in us. When we think upon our adoption, when we think upon the fact that we become sons and daughters of God, it's not of works, it's of grace. It's of wonderful grace. And so to conclude, if you feel like you are too sinful, if you feel like you're too, you're too, ugh, but you don't know the kind of stuff that I've done, if you feel like you're too unlovable, like, you know, I, I, I know the things that I've done, I know that I can be very short tempered, I know that I, I have this addiction to, 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 to whatever it might be to, to drunkenness, to, to, to pornography, to, 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 to certain things that I don't even wish, you know, people sitting around me would, would, would identify. You might know that you have these certain things about you. But that doesn't, deter, don't let that perturb you. God is still calling for your adoption. God is still requiring you to come forward for adoption. God came for sinners. He doesn't come for the children who don't need adopting. He comes exactly for you, the most vile, the most sinful. Don't let that perturb you. Don't let that be an excuse. God, you can't adopt me, I'm too bad. That's exactly who God came for. God wants to adopt you. You think you're not good enough? You're probably right. Let God adopt you. Strip back the pride. Strip back the the excuses. Strip back the the, the logic you think you might have. Strip it all away and come to the new life that God gives you in adoption. Come to the new home, the new family, the new brothers and sisters that God gives you in adoption. And come to the new father that you will get in God through adoption. Amen.